the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. All right, welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results. We are very excited to bring in Dr. Michael and Thomas. And for those who don't know who this wonderful guest is today, Dr. Michael and Thomas, also known as Spaced Out Doc, has worked in the development space business for the past 15 years, supporting Fortune 100 companies and wealthy investors. She's considered a space expert specializing in program management and business operations for complex space systems. Dr. Michael has three graduate degrees, including a Master of Science degree in Space Systems Engineering, and she belongs to Tau Beta Pi, the Engineering Honor Society. She's the founder of Space.com, and there she shares thoughts, experiences, and research through storytelling and efforts to build a community with the shared vision of women empowerment in the space business. And on top of all that, in her spare time, she has dedicated community service and on a mission to inspire as many people as possible to pursue STEM education and STEM careers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dr. Michael and Thomas. Wow. Oh my goodness. Andrew, thank you so much for that introduction. That's very kind of you. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, it's well-earned, well-deserved. We can all tell you worked very hard for your accolades. And so it's only fair to learn how you came to be where you are today. So I like to go through the, the superhero journey, kind of figure out how the heck did you go from being born out of the womb to saying, I want to be a rocket scientist doctor someday. So first, tell us, you know, when you were first growing up, you know, what were some of the first things you were proud of as a kid that kind of helped create that confidence for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as a kid, I was an awkward little kid. I grew up in a relatively large town, half a million people, just about two and a half hours east of San Francisco, a city called Fresno in California. And when I was young, I really wanted to achieve good grades, which I did. I did struggle with math. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Surprise, surprise. And one of my first major goals was to you know, graduate from high school and leave the nest, uh, so to speak. And I was able to do that at the age of 17 years old uh, when I was accepted to California State University, Long Beach. So I moved away about four hours south to attend four-year university. Dang, it's quite the journey from Fresno to Long Beach. And so you said you want to talk about math. I mean, that's one of your passions now is helping women pursue STEM education. So Tell us more about that journey and uh, how you got more confident at math in general. Sure. As a kid, like I mentioned, I did struggle with math quite a bit. I was somewhat dissuaded by others to pursue something different because my brain wasn't just quite grasping that. As I progressed as an undergraduate and as I got older, I realized that my brain is really wrapped around applied mathematics. So it took me quite some time to find my rhythm. But once I did, I nailed it. And, you know, sometimes we all learn a little bit differently and that's okay um, as long as it's right for you. So that's what I had to find was my own rhythm. That's super interesting. And uh, I like the two perspectives. Like on one hand, you can't teach a fish how to climb a tree. But on the other hand, Angela Duckworth in the book Grit, I'm not sure if you read that book yet. She's like, F that, you can teach anyone how to do anything. And so what I just heard from you say is, well, Andrew, I wasn't good at this kind of math, but I was kind of good at this kind of math. Does that apply to other fields as well? Like if I suck at physics, can I be good at chemistry? Or if I suck at uh, regular English, can I be good at Latin English? Or tell me more about that. Sure. Well, I truly believe that you have to allow your passion to guide you. If mm. you allow your passion to guide you, then what seems impossible actually becomes possible because you're really passionate about whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So if you're not forcing yourself, and sometimes that's one of the hardest things we all struggle with is being honest with ourselves. So when you're honest with yourself, if you put your passions first, then you can really do what you need to do. It's not to say that your road will be easy, but you will get there in your own time and in your own way. I love that. And so it sounds like you knew your passion, like sounds like it kind of had you had this intuitive calling right away. Does everyone have that privilege of being able to find the passion in their life? Well, 
Well, you know, it takes a little bit of soul searching. You know, my personal story is ever since I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to work in space. I just wasn't quite sure how I was going to get there, especially when I hit certain roadblocks as an undergraduate, because I started out at Long Beach State in the sciences. And I ended up graduating with a political science degree with an emphasis in public law. And so that still did not deter me from, you know, working in space. Actually, the first job that I landed right out of undergraduate was with a major aerospace firm. And I was working on major government contracts, commercial contracts as it pertained to space and satellite systems. I wasn't an engineer, but I worked as a contracts administrator. So it was my job to really administer these very large contracts for complex space systems. So it's really having that self-awareness and again, allowing your passion to guide you, being honest with yourself and not being afraid to adjust your path so that it works well for you. I love that. No, these are amazing gems. So those tuning in, this, this is wonderful advice. So this is so cool, like how you're talking about being able to move through things uh, so quickly with some passion and, and tenacity. Tell us, I mean, it sounds like obviously it's easy to say all the things can be easy going once you find your passion. And of course, that's its own conversation. Tell us some of the things that you you struggled with in your journey. I know you first mentioned you struggled with math. Like what else did you struggle with when you're on your journey to working for the government and doing contracting. And uh, I know you have even worked with a knighted person in the world as well. So what else did you struggle with along the way? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, you know, when I was 17 years old, I had this plan in my head. And I still feel like when I look back at my 17-year-old self, I achieved the goals that I set out for myself, but I had to change course quite a bit. And when I hear the word quickly, you know, I actually did not become a legit rocket scientist until my mid 30s. So I had to take different steps in order to bring me back to that point. So as I mentioned, I have my undergraduate degree in political science from Long Beach State, started working, you know, this whole time right out of undergraduate. But along the way, I decided that getting an MBA, Master's of Business Administration, was going to be very great for my career, especially as I was working in contracting and in the finance organizations. That was really important for me. And then as I started moving up the career, I don't like to say career ladder, but as I started to really achieve more leadership opportunities, pursuing my doctorate in organizational leadership was something that was so important because it's really the science behind teams. And when I'm leading these very complex teams that are working on complex engineered products, that was something that was critical to my success. Now, going through all of that, and I took a lot of years off in between, it really took the level of professional experience for me to feel confident enough to pursue a technical degree. And in this case, it was a master's of science degree in space systems engineering from Johns Hopkins University. And I was accepted. I wasn't sure how I was going to do because I had that apprehension that I felt when I was about 17, 18 years old. I found my rhythm. Not only did I get through the program, but I graduated with honors and was inducted into Tau Beta Pi, which is the National uh, Engineering Honor Society. So it took me quite some time and some may see that as a challenge. And, you know, I did see my journey as I was starting off as somewhat of a challenge. But now where I am today, I wouldn't change a thing because that's what got me to where I am today. Another challenge, too, that I'll just touch on, and there may be some more opportunities to talk about this later, is one of the biggest challenges that I faced especially as I was achieving more leadership opportunities, there weren't very many people who looked like me in the room. Mm. And yes. And so the one great thing, though, to overcome that challenge, I have been so fortunate to work with some of the world's fiercest allies who would advocate for me, advocate for others who look like me. And so I want to be very clear that while There weren't that many people in the room that looked like me. I had so many people who advocated for me. And now that I'm here in the room, that is one of my missions is to show that, hey, it doesn't have to be a challenge. You know, I want to be that representation for others. I love that. I love that. And I'm just curious for the people who advocated for you, did they, quote unquote, look like you or or, or not? Not necessarily. Um, Some did. But for the most part, they um, understand that and understood 
the importance of diversity and inclusion and equity, especially in our business of space. You know, we are working on some of the toughest and coolest things. It really takes diverse perspectives to come together. So even though you may not identify, it's okay to seek to understand so that you can get that diverse perspective. Because I truly believe that that is how we solve some of our toughest problems. Oh, I love that. I definitely agree. Looking back at my notes here. So you have three different degrees, right? Yes. (laughs) And and you said you talked about, you know, learning, teamwork. If there's there's any uh, one tuning in and they think about going to college, they're in college. I mean, getting three degrees is very impressive. Do you have any quick college hack studying tips for how to uh, thrive in the classroom per se? Sure. So to clarify, I have three graduate degrees, but I do have one undergraduate degree. That's okay. But I will say, though, the undergraduate degree was my hardest degree by far. (laughs) Whoa, interesting. Okay. (laughs) Yes, because, you know, you're transitioning into adulthood. You've got a lot of challenges and new things that are being thrown your way that you have to balance and you have to be responsible. But yes, I would say that it's really, really important to just be you and just to craft your own journey. Your journey is not a carbon copy of anyone else's journey. So I mentor a lot of people and I sponsor a lot of people. And I tell them that my path is probably not the path for you, but I'm happy to share, you know, my experience and to give you guidance. And if you can take little nuggets here and there from my path, awesome. But like, again, my path should not be a carbon copy for others, unless if that's what they truly choose deep down. So if you stick to your passion, that's a recurring thing for me. And if you really put that first, then the studying becomes second nature. It becomes something that you want to do, not because you have to do it. And that's the key distinguisher. Like, so for me, school is not for everyone. And but school is for me. And I love school. I love being in the classroom. I love interacting with other students. I love connecting with professors. So that's like one of my happy places where, you know, I can really thrive, especially when I get the opportunity to teach. And so for me, because that comes so natural for me, all of the work that comes with it is more about balancing my time, not actually mastering the work. So that's where you have to find your niche and just to really figure out what works best for you as an individual. I love that. I love that. And especially... I agree that that's one of the top mistakes that people tend to make is that they think, oh, I have to follow whatever that person's doing, I have to follow whatever that person's doing. But like what you said that, no, the most important thing is to create your own path. And like, yes, they can help other people can help provide guidelines and outlines and scripts. But at the end of the day, like usually, hopefully, you know, through your passion, be able to discover what works best for you yourself. And on top of that, when you mentioned that you mentor a lot of people and support a lot of people, that's so amazing. For those tuning in, if if people did want to become a rocket scientist one day, what is something you wish you knew early in your career that you think would have helped you get you to where you are faster? That's a really interesting question. So, you know, I don't believe I would change a thing. You know, speed, in my opinion, does not equate to results. I do realize that, you know, the topic and the themes of this particular podcast, but I look at it this way, taking the time to build relationships, to develop breadth of understanding and taking that time to develop this experience, whether it's academic experience or professional experience is what worked for me. And that's what got me to where I am. So, you know, especially like on the career side, I didn't always take a promotion. A lot of times I took lateral moves to really develop that breath. And some would think that, oh, that's just a waste of time. But I would tell you, I would not be where I am today if I didn't do that. So I think it's really important sometimes to go slow, to go fast, because if you can do it right the first time, that's where you save time. And it's not to say that you're going to stick to your plan, you know, to the T, to the letter. Because you have to have enough self-awareness to make adjustments because as we progress through life, even on a daily basis, we're constantly learning. And it's really imperative to incorporate those lessons learned into your own path, just like you would do on a job, just like you would do in the classroom. You have to do that with your own path and not get deterred by your own process 
right? Or by your own goals. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, you know, what's worked for me is trying to do something right the first time with the utmost quality. And you hear that mostly like on the technical side in my business, which I 100% stand by and do. But I also have to do that within my own personal life as well. And real quick too, so, so tell us what you mean by uh, personal versus professional and doing things right the first time, if you don't mind, mind sharing what you mean by that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you're on a job, I'll just give like a, a quick anecdote or, or just a, an analogy. If your manager or boss asks you, I need this done by tomorrow, no questions asked. I just need this done. It's really important that if you, as the person who's being asked to do the work, to take a step back, to look at the totality of the circumstances and, and tell your boss or your manager, I can have it done by the time that you need it, but it may be missing X, Y, and Z, and here's why. Mm-hmm. So if you give me these this extra time, I can make sure that we capture what I believe you're truly after. That may work. That may not work. It really just depends on your particular industry and what you're trying to do and, you know, the type of culture that you're working within as well. Right. But as an individual, something that has worked for me throughout my career, I I have not always been a manager or a leader is doing that and taking that inventory and being very transparent with my leaders. And, you know, again, I've been very, very fortunate to have incredible leaders throughout my entire career to where I always felt that I had a voice. And that's what I talk about having those fierce allies in your corner. I never felt shut out, um, which is really, really important. But, you know, it's one of those things where we can all just do a job and move on. And that's fine because the world needs that. But for me, my job is more than a job. It's a way of life. And that's what I mean by the personal piece of it. You know, I do my job because I love to do it. And I also do things, all things space when I'm not on the clock, so to speak, because I really (laughs) love what I do. So, yeah. So basically anything that I can do in my personal and in my professional life, I treat it as though that it's the most important thing because to me it is, that is a priority. Love that. Uh, That's a, There's a funny meme on the internet that says like, oh, I need this done now. And then like, like a sketch artist, like gives them like a stick figure says, okay, here you go. Versus like someone saying, I need this done. That gives a sketch artist time to actually fill in the colors and fill in the shades and actually do the outlines kind of thing. But what about uh, just the plain devil's advocate here? How do you know how much to challenge people saying, no, no, I do believe you can get this done in half the time. I believe you oversee 80 plus people. How do you set that that quote, reasonable standard for people to challenge them, but also not overwhelm them when you give them tasks? I'm a firm believer in the power of communication and trusting the people that you work for and work with. When you have trust and communication, having these open conversations becomes natural and it becomes the right thing to do. So it's really important to, as a, I feel as a leader, I try to do more listening than talking because I'm not the smartest person in the room. I pride myself on surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me and that can guide me and that can direct me in a lot of the time. So when you create that sort of environment and that workplace culture, that becomes natural. So if someone were to come to me or if I were to come to someone and say, you know what, this is going to be somewhat of a challenge, I can get you something but just note that it's going to be missing X, Y, and Z. And I believe I can, you know, provide the rest of what you're looking for, but I'll give you this piece. That has worked very well for me. Um, and it, it's about building the trust, right? Because anybody can say, oh my goodness, this isn't going to work. This is going to take too long and just take the easy way out. But again, going back to how fortunate I've been with my leaders, they trust me and they've always trusted me to give them high quality products. And, you know, I personally like to put the Michael Lynn brand on everything that I deliver and that becomes expected. And that's something that I really pride myself on. And I try to coach or mentor others about that same level of pride. And if, if you don't have that level of pride, you know, especially in my business, then it's really time to think about, Maybe I'm not in the right industry. You know, what fuels my passion? Because, you know, to be honest, we all spend quite a bit of time working. 
you know, sometimes we spend more time working than with our loved ones. Mm. And you have to love what you do because if you don't, you don't want to look back 50 years later and be like, wow, I should have done this. You know, that's one thing that scares me and that I, I know at least the path that I'm on, um, I'm going to be looking back saying, I did that. I worked with this incredible team. We did this and I'm going to be excited about that. And I, I really want that for everyone that I'm able to reach. I love that. I love that. I love hearing like the passion and the fire in your voice and uh, how how supportive you are of others because of how much people supported you. And that does lead me to my next question is, can anyone become a, a rocket scientist and why or why not? Absolutely. And again, I know I sound like a broken record, <laughs> but it all goes back to passion. If you are passionate about becoming a rocket scientist, you can absolutely achieve that goal. If you look at me, it took me quite a bit of time to become a legitimate space systems engineer, mid thirties. When most people I'm working with get, you know, these degrees, these certifications when they're 21, 22 years old. For me, that was okay because I was passionate about it. That never deterred me from my eye on the prize, so to speak. It just took me a little bit of a different route to get there. I had to establish myself on the business side, program management side of the house first, and then I was able to come back to what I'm truly passionate about. I mean, I'm very passionate though about program management and business. Don't get me wrong, but I really wanted to solidify that engineering acumen. And I was able to do that through the Johns Hopkins program. So I, I really do believe that if you're truly passionate about it, and even if it's hard, you'll work through it because you care that much about it, if that's what you choose. Love it. I love it. And let's see here. So going back to now let me know anyone can be a rocket scientist. Sounds like, well, just to play devil's advocate once again, because I love doing that so much. It sounds like it takes about 15 years from start to finish to officially be a rocket scientist. Is that about right? No, that's not about right. Oh. No, <laughs> that was my journey. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I took a very roundabout path and I, I do give talks uh, here and there about, you know, my untraveled you know, space journey, if you will, because it's not traditional. It's very unconventional. And that's something that just worked for me within my own particular aerospace and space journey. As I mentioned, a, a lot of students, they come straight out of high school with already rocketry experience because their high schools had, you know, rocket club or, you know, first robotics programs, things like that to where they're able to just dive right into undergraduate studies to get that four-year degree or that undergraduate degree, aerospace engineering or space systems engineering. And that works for them. Absolutely. But then there's other programs that just don't exist. That's where, you know, I'm a firm believer in equitable education. Um, not every student has access to some of these really great programs. And so therefore they have to take a different path or a different journey and really cling on to strong allies, strong mentors to get them there. You know, for me, it was one of those things where I had, you know, my path and I took a detour, but I still stayed within the space sector. And that was really, really important to me. But to become an actual legitimate engineer with a piece of paper behind it took me quite some time. And that, again, that worked very well for me. That may work for some of your listeners, but that's just a different path. Yeah. Okay. It makes makes more sense because I was just thinking like, you know, if there's an 80-year-old man out there and, he, and he's like, I want to become a rocket scientist one day and start from scratch. So it sounds like it, it could take about five to 10 years, though, if you really dove into it. Is that about the estimated timeline if you're going as fast as possible? I would say, I mean... If you go to an undergraduate degree uh, or undergraduate program and get a four year degree or if it takes you five or six years to get that degree, then you can go work into an industry that's generally to be an actual rocket scientist or an engineer. Having an undergraduate degree is usually a mandatory, you know, credential that you need. However, I want to clarify, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work on rockets. There oh. are. Yes. 
There are a multitude of jobs that exist within, you know, the aerospace and space realm to where you can be a teacher, you can be a human resource professional, you can be a business operationalist, you can be an attorney, you can be a medical doctor, you can be a technician, which doesn't even require a four-year degree. You can be military. If you can think it, it exists within the space sector. It exists within the aerospace realm. So you don't have to be an engineer or a rocket scientist to work on these incredible programs. You just have to find the right fit for you. I love that. No, that's, uh, that's an, I like that, that creative way of thinking. Like most people think, oh, you have to do A plus B plus C equal D. And you go, well, actually, there's a sector of D that you can work on without having to do A, B, C, essentially. So I, I like I like that creative thinking. That, that, that's good to know, too. And you mentioned earlier how, yeah, sometimes you spend more time on your job than your than your personal life. And I know you have a loving husband and uh, some dogs you oversee. Tell us, as someone who, who's busy uh, a lot of the time, how do you maintain that relationship with your family? Because I know that is a, a stressor for a lot of people out there is that sometimes work does overtake the personal lives and they're just stuck working alone, essentially. But it sounds like you have found a system or found a way to figure that out. I'd love to hear more about how you manage that. Yes. So I am not the master of, you know, work-life balance or work-life integration, as I like to call it. And it's all about finding your tribe, finding your people. It's really important. So I have a very understanding husband who's also in this business. (laughs) So we understand each other. Yes, we understand each other very well. We understand that our schedules can be very difficult. The one good thing, though, that I do have uh, support from my loved ones is that I don't have to choose. I've never been put in a situation to where I have to choose. And that's really, really important or explain myself. That can be very hard and that can be a huge stressor on a relationship or a family dynamic. And so it's just about, you know, communication, which is, you know, something that I really believe in and I think is very, very important. And just being honest um, and having that level of trust to where, you know, I'm doing this for our family, or I'm doing this for us, or I'm doing this because I believe that we can be here in the future. And having that open dialogue, talking about it is, I think, has really helped me with the work-life integration. However, I will say that on my spare time, I do volunteer a lot of my time to nonprofit organizations, to schools, to really help, you know, repair the busted pipeline. It's not leaky anymore. It's busted so that we have the next generation of space professionals that are ready to take on these very, very important and critical roles because space is a way to improve life right here on earth. I know that question comes up quite a bit as to why would we invest so much in going to space, but you know, how many times have we used GPS satellite technology, that space technology We would not be able to have this call right now without space technology. It really connects the world. Swiping your card at the gas station, that's space technology. Making sure that you can get medical expertise to remote jungles around the world, that is space technology. Mm. Tracking our oceans, climate change, that is space technology. So it's really important that we look at who are these next people, you know, group of people, these next generations who are going to step up and take space technology to where it's really going to improve life right here on earth and beyond. That's really, really critical. Very, very important. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I'm curious and no worries if you can't answer it, are you able to give us like for those listening in a sneak peek of the technology we can expect coming out pretty soon that can be uh, game-changing for a lot of people, like any sneak peeks into the future, per se? Well, I really can't speak to the future, but, you know, I just think about how can we use space to create more equitable access to education? How can Mm. we connect uh, the world, you know, connect the unconnected? I look at that as to how we're continuously proving things like that. Um, And that's just very broad, you know, a broad categorization of you know, some of the things that, you know, we're able, I mean, we're connected right now, Andrew, um, I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast, and we're able to have a real-time conversation. So that's connecting us to be able to do something for the for the greater good or 
or to get a message out to my followers, your followers. That's really powerful. And that's how we can really use this technology for good. Yes. And and I agree that uh, education is at the heart of it. And are there certain areas that you've been focusing on helping more like uh, rural America versus rural parts of Africa or rural parts of Asia? Like just like curiosity, like they're, they're focused on education in some areas more than others? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I'm not directly working on uh, some of these projects. I mean, there's a lot of public information out there on how different providers are trying to connect the unconnected and to do things like that. But, you know, where there's just a lack of, I guess, technology or connectedness, um, I do believe there's a focus there, but I can't really speak to it because I'm not directly involved. Um, But I do know that there is a big push to, you know, create the society to where we can be connected because that's really important. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. And does uh, hovercraft count as space technology? Because I know that's uh, seems to be more and more popular as, as we go on through the 21st century. Well, you know, I'm not too familiar with hovercraft, so <laughs> I, I don't want to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No worries. No worries. Um, all right. That's super awesome about yeah the importance of, yeah, of course, GPS of us being able to talk because of space technology and just being able to think, Literally, not just outside the box, but outside the planet is just super cool. And going back to your expertise, what do you think that based on your knowledge, your skill sets, what can you you do faster than 90% of the world and why? You know, honestly, probably nothing. I don't look at myself as someone who moves super fast because I'm very methodical and I'm very thorough. I really try to do things right the first time. And sometimes that takes a bit of time. So as an example, I had an opportunity to get a technical degree by the time I was about 21 years old. But I realized halfway through that when I was maybe about 19, that that was not going to work for me. So it took years of planning for me to put myself back out there at 34 years old to do that. So that's not fast, so to speak, but that worked for me because not only did I put myself back out there in my mid thirties, but I killed it. I crushed it. You know, I, I got, I graduated with honors from one of the top tier, top 10 ranked universities in the world, Johns Hopkins. And I truly don't believe I would have been able to do that in my teens and early twenties, um, just because of this came with professional experience and connecting with people, building relationships. That was a very strategic, methodical move that I made. And not only that, but I built some of the best relationships along the way. People who I would consider family, who aren't really family, that I was really able to build these relationships with because I took the time and I was able to take that step back and to kind of see the the big picture if you will. So to really answer that question, I'm probably very slow compared to maybe some of your viewers or or to what I guess the traditional definition of moving fast would be. <laughs> no, that, that, that's okay. You know, sometimes that's very interesting. I know, you know, for me, sometimes I'm a perfectionist where uh, I don't want to do something unless I do it perfectly right the first time. And sometimes I know that I need to fail at things a few times before I can get it right, per se. And when you talked about, uh, I believe you said the F word, the fail word, um, that there are two types of people out there. It seems like uh, I heard the analogy that there's, there's the egg and there's the bouncy ball, where if you throw an egg on the pavement, they're done. Like they, they give up. That's it. But if you throw a bouncy ball on the pavement, they're like, I got this. I'll bounce back stronger than before. And I know you love the the P word, the passion word. Uh, is there anything else besides passion? Do you believe that helps differentiate yourself? That it sounds like you're you're definitely that bouncy ball kind of person. You know, what do you think help help to create that bouncy ballness for yourself? Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned the F word, fail, um, and I love that because I don't believe in failure. I really don't. And I actually, or I should say, I don't believe in failure in the traditional sense of what failure means. I actually believe that failure is always an option. And I put that in quotes because to me, failure is more of a learning opportunity. So without putting yourself out there and experiencing 
you know, it's kind of like if you look at technology, you have to experiment and evaluate. You also have to do that with yourself. And not every experiment that a scientist conducts will succeed. And that's okay because that scientist has now learned what not to do or what to do differently the next time. Same thing applies to our personal lives. So, you know, when you look at your path that you may have set out for yourself, it should not be set in stone. You have to give yourself a level of grace, a level of understanding, uh, some wiggle room, if you will, to experience, to experiment, to readjust, to recalibrate. And when I say failure, you know, like people in my industry, they may go <gasps> clutch their pearls. Like, how does she say that? You know, failure is always an option. I want to be very clear. You know, I am not saying that a mission or quality or mission assurance should ever be compromised or safety. That is never, ever, ever okay. We always want to protect our people and the mission. I'm just talking about, you know, if you set a goal for yourself and it doesn't quite work out, it's all about what is that opportunity for a learning moment to where you can incorporate those lessons learned into your day-to-day so that you can achieve what you have set out to achieve. And that, coupled with passion, is really important, which really equates to honesty and trust for yourself. You know, being honest with yourself and trusting yourself that you're making the right decisions as it pertains to your academia and your career goals. That's so beautifully said. And it makes me want to ask too, like, are you able to share like, one of your quote unquote biggest failures that you that you believe helped turn into success. And before you answer that, I, I do agree that uh, you know, that definitely helps a lot of people. Is that I didn't fail; I was just experimenting. And of course, there's there's the famous phrase by Thomas Edison where he said, um, "I never failed. I just found two thousand things that didn't work, <laughs> essentially." And so I'm curious if there's something in your own life that was uh, a really big pivotal moment for you because you quote unquote didn't get it right um, right away. Absolutely. Um, I can't talk to the specifics of it, but um, when I was on the job, I was very early on in my career entry level and I was responsible for quite a bit. You know, this was kind of like one of my first leadership opportunities, even though I was entry level. So I had a lot of exposure to senior leadership at, you know, the C-suite level, if you will, so to speak, of the program. And I made a mistake, a really big mistake in my calculations, nothing that was going to be detrimental to you know, mission assurance or anyone's safety, but it was still a significant mistake to where, you know, I could have, you know, pointed the finger, I could have swept it under the rug, but instead I owned it and I spoke up. I was the first person to speak up about it to senior leadership. And I was terrified because I I was new in my career. I wasn't sure how they were going to respond because, you know, I made this mistake. Now, not only did I make this mistake, before I had presented this to senior leadership, I'd worked with my team and we came up with a plan to, cor- to correct it, so to speak. And I had a great team. So when I presented this mistake to senior leadership, they were very appreciative that I had brought that to their attention and they were very supportive. And they had told, they had thanked me for coming up with a solution to try to remedy this particular mistake. And so from that moment on, that was a very pivotal moment for me because I had gained the trust of senior leaders and they had thanked me for that. So they knew going forward that, you know, for complex projects, you know, we need people who are going to speak up, even though it was something that probably wouldn't have made it back to me. I owned it. And I thought that was really, really important. And I think a lot of people in that moment could have taken that as a failure or could have taken that as an inadequacy. But really, um, that that's how you build relationships. That's how you build trust. And I made some very strong connections with the team and senior leadership from that moment. And that's something where I, I really do pride myself on integrity. I think everybody needs to have integrity, especially when it comes to complex projects and programs that we're responsible for. And it really builds that communication and it really builds those relationships, which really helps you get to that next level within your goals, if you really think about it. 
Um, so that's that's something that I think is really, really important. And that was a really huge learning opportunity for me to not be afraid to bring bad news to the table. And I always encourage the people that I lead, not only do I want to hear the good news, I want to hear the bad news and just know that we're going to work through it. We're going to get through this, you know, because that is what a leader is supposed to do. 100%. Yes, that's so that's so well said. Just, uh, and it's so interesting. It, I mean, is that assumed then that a lot of people in your field don't admit their mistakes out of curiosity? They do get it right the first time. Uh, you, you didn't sound like they were surprised when you admitted your, your mistake. Why do you think they were surprised about that? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I, I definitely want to clarify. I do believe that, um, at least in my, in my realms, in my circles, speaking up has been vital to our core. That's very, very important. This was something that, you know, I saw uh, in this particular um, uh, scenario, I saw as a mistake, it really wasn't detrimental to the overall, um, I would say, like duty of this particular project. It was just more of something that didn't sit right with me. And I felt that I needed to say that, hey, this is something that happened. We're going to work through it so that we can put a lessons learned into where it doesn't happen again. But I would say that I've been very, very fortunate, very confident um, amongst people that I've worked for and worked with where, you know, bringing up things is part of our core. It's not really a surprise. I was just making that distinction as someone who, me, myself, as an entry level person, we're always taught, you know, mistakes are bad. And really the moral of that story is that, no, it was great that this is what you're supposed to do. And it was welcomed because that is vital to the culture. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes more sense. I, I love, and once you applied your courage as an entry level person and just saying, you know what, it's got, got to go for it. And it's, it's great to hear that it turned out in your favor. And I hope that for those listening in that encourages other people to admit when they've done something wrong and uh, it's better I'm, I'm sure it's, it's higher stakes what you're dealing with, but uh, for most people, but still um, important, just like the admitting something wrong rather than trying to pretend like, oh, I don't know who, what happened <laughs> uh, kind of thing. So I, I love that. Thank you again for sharing that. Sure. And let's see, look at my questions here. Yeah, I, I'm curious about uh, going back to, I guess, personal professional, your, your, your spaced out doc blog. It's an official blog, right? Yes, that's right. It's a full website, but um, I do spend most of my time vlogging there. So, so tell us, tell us about that. Uh, do you have like an alias that you you speak as, like a, a different uh, personality while you do it, or what was the? Um, I feel like not many people who are in your field have blogs, and so tell us more about how it came to be, what the vision is you have for it, and tell us about it. Sure. Well, yeah. So, spaced out doc. That's like my handle on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and spaced out doc. Dot com is my website where I do spend a lot of time on my blog. And really the inspiration behind that was that I wanted to inspire others. I have had nothing but a fun ride in this space business. And I still see myself going even further with amazing people. And I definitely want to encourage anyone who's thinking about working in this wonderful industry to pursue it if that's what they see fit. I do have five formal publications, so that's um, in addition to my blog, but I do have those listed um, on my website as well. And one of the publications that was released in STEM magazine is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work on rockets. So I mentioned that. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier, but I did do a formal publication on that because this industry is so robust and so vast and wide. And it needs diverse minds. It needs diverse perspectives. So if I can inspire anyone, particularly underrepresented groups, to pursue a field um, within the business I love so dear, then I'm all in. So that's one of the reasons why I do focus a lot on my blog. And I do like to highlight what some people are doing, particularly women in this particular industry, just to show that these role models are out there. They exist. They're doing it and they're doing some great things. I'm inspired by everyone I have come across and met on this platform, you know, women and others who are much younger than I am and doing some really incredible things. 
And the one thing we all have in common is passion. Mm. We're all passionate about what we do and why we do it. And we're successful in our own right. Um, and defining success, um, everybody has their own definition, right? Um, yeah. Some people may define success by how much money they make or their title. And what I find is um, I feel I felt that I had achieved success when I achieved my first space job as an entry level person because I, I got paid to do, you know, what I love to do. Like yeah. that's a win-win. That's success for me. So, and when you read, you know, some of the stories that I've highlighted, it's very clear that they are motivated by what they are doing. And it's not to say that people shouldn't be motivated by money. I'm not saying that because we all need that to survive and to live. That's great. But when you're honest with yourself, you're honest about your passions, you know, some of those benefits will come. They will come with that. You just have to be honest with yourself and you have to let your passion drive your decisions in, in that, so to speak. And real quick too, when you mentioned, uh, yeah, w- women in STEM and, and obviously something you're passionate about, what do you think is the one thing that needs to happen for more women to be involved in STEM? Um, and, and why is, yeah, what, what do you think is one thing that needs to happen in order for more women to be involved in STEM? Woo, that is a big question. Um, I actually wrote my doctoral dissertation on that. <laughs> oh, so I'll give a great answer then. <laughs> <laughs> well, about 240 pages worth. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> there we well, go. You know, I think it's really important that um, our, you know, when you look at aerospace, you know, the research did reveal um, when I when I conducted my qualitative uh, case study through a transformative framework that the aerospace industry is one of the toughest environments for women to thrive in. And with that, uh, the research also showed that a lot of women who achieve a space, <laughs> pun intended, within <laughs> aerospace, um, sometimes leaves for a completely different industry altogether. Um, they may go to tech or they may go to a different, similar or adjacent industry. And, you know, really pulling back, pulling back the layers um, here, what I found is that there's not a lot of role models who identify as women who have reached some of those, the highest levels of leadership, so to speak, within aerospace. And, you know, the, to answer the why question, that's, that's a very hard question. You know, we'd need maybe about another few hours <laughs> to really yes. dissect that. But, you know, I look at my own personal journey and I look at how I was able to achieve you know, um, I went from an entry level employee to reporting to a CEO within 10 years. And, you know, that was a, a huge pivotal moment for me. And people ask, you know, what did I do? What did I do differently? And I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but my passion, I was just passionate about every single thing that I did. When you look at my resume, and especially when you look at my academia, I have four degrees in four distinct different you know, fields of study. And I have worked jobs that range from contracts to finance, to program management, to engineering. That confuses some, but it makes the most sense to me. And so everything that I did was with intent, with purpose. And um, I was passionate about everything that I pursued. And I think that that's really, really important. But I also built relationships. And I, again, I, I talk so highly of my leaders because I really value them. And I've been very fortunate to really pick some really good leaders. You know, sure, they picked me, but in an interview, it's a two-way street. So I got to pick my leaders as well. And and that was very, very important to me. And I'm still connected to a lot of my past leaders because we really do care about each other as people. You know, they had my best interests. They advocated for me for promotions or for another job or what have you. And that's my personal journey. And you know, I, I do encourage, it's a lot of work sometimes, right? Because especially with women, there's a lot of things that we have to think about that maybe our counterparts do not have to think about. But it's really important because if you let your passion drive you, you're able to overcome some of those barriers and you're able to partner with mentors and sponsors and to become that representation that is so needed at the highest levels of leadership, if you will, in this industry. So I think that that's a really important distinction 
you know, and again, I'm a very positive person. I like to focus on, you know, in every tough or, or challenging situation to really find the opportunity because not only am I able to find the opportunity, that's a growth um, opportunity for me as well. Learning how to navigate conflict, how to work with maybe not some of the most fun people at times, if, if you're ever in those situations, finding that silver lining has really kept me very happy and very secure in everything that I do. But again, I've been very fortunate to where those situations are not the norm for me because I have amazing leaders. I have a, I have an amazing team. And I like to think that I have a great attitude to really help get me through maybe some things that may seem not so pleasant. But thankfully, I've just been able to really go through that. And then having conducted a lot of the research behind the scenes, I'm able to be self-aware and to really help advocate for others who may not have as loud of a voice to really advocate for them in this industry. So that's something that I think is really important. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm taking lots of notes here and I'm curious what your thoughts on And You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but when I do the research on, you know, one of the top reasons why, you know, more women don't get involved in, in various careers because other women, you know, classic example is Margaret Thatcher. Like, like, I don't know if you know much about Margaret Thatcher, but she made sure that whenever she was in a photo, no other women were allowed in the photo because she wanted to be like that the prime um, people paid attention to, essentially. And so do you think there is uh, women-to-women conflict in, in these kind of careers? And, and if so, how do you um, navigate that? Sure. Well, I can speak for myself. Um, you know, one of the best things about being a leader in STEM and identifying as a woman is that now I have the opportunity to make room at the table for others who look like me. That is how I choose to lead my leadership and to live um, in my profession. I believe that it's very important to have a balance of not just women, but of all demographics in really any industry for that matter, because that's how we solve tough problems. Having you know, yes, our physical diversity is important, but our diverse minds, um, our diverse perspectives, how we approach problems, that's how you get to the root of any issue, of any conflict. Um, and that's how you can really band together. So I, speaking on behalf of myself, I think the more the merrier. I'm, but I'm also very confident in what I bring to the table. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm confident that I can stand up and say, I'm not the smartest person in the room because if I am, I need to find a new room. It's really important to have others in there, especially because I am a leader um, and I have been a leader for quite some time to give others opportunities to shine, so to speak, to get that recognition, to get that visibility. And it's my job as a leader, not to lead through the tough technical or to lead through the tough situations, but to give others a platform to shine. And that's what I feel is so important. And I have really built my leadership around that because my leaders did that for me. And I had a lot of leaders who never, who don't identify the way that I identify and that's okay. But they still, again, it goes back to being fierce allies, right? They really put me up and gave me a platform to make mistakes, to shine, to learn, to grow, to get the visibility. And that is something that we need more of. And I, again, speaking for myself, that's the realm and the culture that I've always been in and all of my organizations that I've worked for and people who I've worked with. So I don't want to do anything different. I do the same for others. I love that. I love that. Thank you for being that inspiring person who wants to bring people together, open the table, share the table. And just do table dancing with other people along the way as well. So <laughs> all the tables. And I know we're coming up on our time here. So just wanted to do some final questions here. If people uh, just happen to want one takeaway from this entire interview, what is the one thing you want people to know when it comes to how to thrive in your career, no matter what the odds are? Yes. Yeah, so this is going to sound really simple, but it's actually very difficult. Be authentically you, period. When you are yourself, you will go further than what you could have ever imagined. Now, it's not to say that everybody is going to accept you being your authentic self. 
But that's why it's imperative to find the right fit, the right culture, the right leaders. I have been so fortunate to where I didn't have to compromise or conform. And because of that, I have been able to experience and to lead and to do really out of this world things because I have been afforded those opportunities to be authentically me. And I encourage everyone, especially who I mentor, to be authentically themselves. And if they find that as a challenge, then, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and see, okay, am I being honest with myself? Am I being true to myself? Am I working for the right people? Am I working for the right team? Because sometimes adjustments need to be made, not on you, but on your surroundings, on your environment. And it's not to say that you have to be resistant, you know, resistant to change on yourself because that's, that goes without saying be authentically you means that you have to, you know, understand who you are. And through that, there's evolution there. So you have to understand what that looks like and what that means. But it's, you know, being true to yourself, I think is really, really important. I love that. I love that being your authentic self. And, but of course, it's important to know yourself in the first place. And if you know you want to be a rocket scientist, be the best version of yourself that's a rocket scientist, essentially, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, how, how wonderful. And as, as you wrap up, uh, uh, Dr. Michael, and what's uh, one of the best ways that people can get a hold of you or contact you if they want to dive deeper and, and connect with you more? Sure. So, um, you know, all of my social media handles are public at uh, Spaced Out Doc is my handle for um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. But also if you go to spacedoutdoc.com, you can send me a note there. Um, but obviously you can DM me, uh, direct message me um, on my social media as well. But it's it pretty easy to get a hold of. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to connect um, if I can. Uh, happy to answer any questions, um, especially as it pertains to like mentorship and, and things like that. But yeah, no, this has been uh, a great. <laughs> no, it's been awesome. It's been, it's been a wonderful time. And, and thank you again for coming on the show today and providing lots of insights. Any final things, any final pieces of advice or comments uh, that you want to uh, give to the audience who are inspired by, by, by your path and uh, what, you, what you stand for? Sure. Well, I will say this. Um, there is a quote by Miss Rosa Parks that I truly try to live my, my life by. So I'll just read you this uh, brief quote. Yeah. Um, I would like to be known as a person who is concerned about freedom and equality and justice and prosperity for all people. And that was stated by Miss Rosa Parks. And that is something that, yes, you know, I'm a, a space systems engineer, a rocket scientist. Yes. Um, I've done a lot in my career professionally and, mm -hmm. Um, even through my volunteer work. But that is something that I interweave um, into what I do professionally. And because of that, I'm able to create a sphere of influence of great leaders, um, great people that I'm able to work with. And I would encourage anybody who's, who's listening in to really think about how to be inclusive because inclusivity is really for everyone. I think that it makes you become a better leader. It doesn't matter how you identify, whether you're the majority or um, someone who identifies as an underrepresented person. Being inclusive of, of everyone is what has certainly worked for me and my leadership and has really gotten me to where I am. And so that's just something that I really try to live by professionally um, so that folks can feel heard um, and can feel valued. And um, I'll also say that your journey is yours. Um, again, it's not a carbon copy of anybody else's journey. Sometimes it's really difficult to compare yourself to others. You can kind of get into this unhealthy cycle or do loop. And it's really critical to be authentic to yourself um, and to be honest with yourself and to be passionate about yourself. And that is how I truly believe you will achieve your goals um, it may not be as fast as you'd like, but being very methodical and thorough, at least that's worked for me, has gotten me to where I need to be. Um, some things happen a little bit quicker. Some may be a little bit slower, but if you achieve your goal, doesn't matter how old you are or where you are um, in your life um, or career. And lastly, I'll just say, just be proud of yourself. 
with everything that you do. Um, be kind to yourself. Sometimes we are our, our toughest critics. And um, sometimes I have to take a step back and I have to say, you know what? I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that I was able to do this. It may not have been what I thought I was going to do, but you know what? I achieved some of it or I achieved part of it or whatever that may be. And just give yourself some grace and, and just be really proud of yourself. And, and as you build yourself up, you'll see yourself celebrating more of those wins and getting to where you need to be. But I will keep it there because I could keep going on and on. But um, Andrew, I really thank you for um, having me on today. Um, it's been a great conversation and been fun getting to know you a little bit more as well. And um, again, thanks again. You're very welcome. All right, everyone, that concludes our uh, episode here today. Make sure to tune in for the next one and uh, make sure to connect with Dr. Michaelin on uh, her various social media that she mentioned. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Here's y'all. Bye. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.